You're listening to a member of the Dice Tower Network, the home of smart people, insightful board gaming discussion, and me. What can I say? I like the Powerpuff Girls. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Hi, and welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, proud member of the Dice Tower Network. This is episode 14, Origins Report 2013, part one. I am your host, Marty, and my co-host, Tony, is not here for this episode as he is at the beach enjoying some sand, sun, and probably a little bit of sunburn. But I just got back from Origins, got a lot of great stuff that we need to share, so we wanted to get this out to you as soon as possible. And remember what I said? This was... Origins Report Part 1. What you say? There's more than one part to this? Yes, I got so much great information that I just couldn't pack it all into one episode. So we're going to be doing two parts. Basically, when I got to Origins, I went around to many of the game companies, pulled some of their developers and their uh, marketing managers aside, and talked to them about some of the latest games they have coming out, and a lot of good scoops we have for some games coming out uh, this summer at Origins and coming upcoming at Gen Con. We got so much good stuff that I I know you don't want to hear me ramble on and on, so let's just get right to it. I'm now with Jason Hardy, Catalyst Games Lab, Shadowrun line developer, right? That is right. Uh, Thanks for being here with us today. And uh, Jason, as I was saying on the way in, you are the one guy I've been most excited about to talk to during this con because... I've been seeing all the tweets and all the press releases from Catalyst Games Lab about this is the year of the shadow. And I was like, what is that all about? And I see that you're basically taking your Shadowrun universe and coming out with these all these different types of games. And I'm not going to play all the spoiler and everything, but I know there's a, <laughs> a miniatures game and a deck building game and the new RPG rules. And uh, let's let's just start the be- let's just start with the RPG because that's probably the one stuff is most people are most familiar with. So I believe you're coming out with the fifth edition, with the rule book being available this weekend, right? Yes, it should be here at Origins uh, tomorrow, Friday, and then throughout the weekend after that because we have a pretty good supply coming in. Mm-hmm. And uh, this will be the only place it's available. But then later, as the summer goes on, uh, we'll have PDF sales, and then we will have it available at uh, should be at Gen Con, and then. Rolling out to everywhere. That's great. And I believe you're doing, uh, there's a lot of demo sessions that's been going on during the next several days with the new rule set yep. that people are trying out. Uh, so I know everybody's been really looking forward to that. So what other games can we expect during this year of the Shadow? Uh, there's a lot coming. Uh, one of the first that will be coming out is the computer game Shadowrun Returns that had uh, a Kickstarter last year. That's supposed to be coming out in June. And that's uh, being worked on by Jordan Weissman, who was one of the original creators of Shadowrun, and should have a great uh, old-school Shadowrun feel. If you played the Shadowrun game on the SNES, mm-hmm. uh, you should like this one. This should be a lot of fun. I'm very happy it's coming out after I got done with Shadowrun 5, because I plan on losing a lot of productive work time with this game. What type of game is the video game? Is it RPG or...? Yeah, this is an RPG. Okay. Um, I, from some of the uh, demos I've seen, uh, the feel is somewhat similar to a Fallout type game. Okay. Um, so a lot of a lot of dialogue and interaction with characters, and then slows down a little bit for tactical combat when that uh, situation arises. Single player or multiplayer? 
Uh, this one's single player. Okay. You can design adventures for others, so that's kind of where interaction comes, but this one is more single player adventure. There's another game due out uh, later in 2013, a browser-based game called Shadowrun Online that'll give more of a multiplayer experience. Okay, so more of the MMO-type feel right. where you can play with your friends and stuff like that. Okay, so there's the RPG, there's the video game, and what's next? Then we will have Shadowrun Crossfire, which is a deck-building game. Uh, we were very excited to be approached by some really good uh, minds in gaming and card gaming who wanted to do a Shadowrun card game, and so we worked with them. They came up with some great concepts, and uh, so the rule set for Shadowrun Crossfire is done. We're finishing out the layout and the art, and we will be demoing that here at Origins uh, starting tomorrow, and that means that we should be able to move it forward and hopefully later in the summer have that available everywhere. Oh, that'd be, that'd be good. So, well, the... Uh would you post the rules online so other people can see how it's played or since you're getting ready to demo it? Um, I, I'll have to talk to the people who are looking at that. I've been so caught up in the role-playing game that I haven't done all, been involved in the promotions of Crossfire. Um, but they have been pretty active in posting different uh, development blogs on the ShadowrunTabletop.com website. And I'm sure there will be more information coming just about how gameplay works. I don't know if they'll have the full rules, so uh, that I don't know. Is Crossfire meant to be just a, here's, here's the one game uh, with all the cards you need, or are there planned to be expansions over time, or have you thought that far ahead? Uh, it's not concrete yet. I think there's definitely the possibility of expansions, um, but it sh- well, should be a fully formed game experience right out of the box. So you get the, the main box and you're ready to play. If it looks like we have a chance to do expansions and we can, we can do it in a way that uh, keeps the game the way we want it to be, then we'll look at that in the future. Okay, that's great. So there's the deck-building game. Any other types of games coming out? Yeah, we also have a board game, uh, Shadowrun Hostile Takeover, since the corporations in Shadowrun are such an important part of the universe and the maneuverings against each other uh, put a lot of intrigue and possibility for Shadowruns. We're going to have a board game focusing on the corporate maneuvering in that universe, and so we want to give a little uh, simpler feel and you know, shorter time frame to play than the massive role-playing game, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how that's going to develop. Is that a head-to-head co-op or...? Uh, head-to-head. Okay. Yeah. All right, That won't be a co-op. All right, and when do you see that coming out? Uh, that should be late in 2013, but uh, I have to see what the progress is on that and how well the rule set's coming along, to be sure. Okay. And then, is there anything else coming we out for the year? We have one more, <laughs> because we want to make sure gamers of all stripes have a chance to play Shadowrun, no matter what type of game they like. Uh, there is Shadowrun Sprawl Gangers, which is a miniatures game. Uh, so you'll have the, the different gangs in the Shadowrun universe going head-to-head and pulling in Shadowrunners to help them get ahead of each other. Uh, the rules have been in playtest for a while. Uh, the next phase will be getting the miniatures ready and developing the sculpts and all that, and that takes some time. So we're looking at uh, some point in 2014 for that game. Okay. And is that going to be, you know what type of game that is? Is that a, is a skirmish game? Is it going to be a campaign type game? And this is more for me because I'm really into the campaign-y type miniatures where it's not like just kill everybody, game over. Or is it right. going to be something where you can play and, and build over time? Yeah, there will be campaign elements to it so that as you uh, recruit Shadowrunners to your cause, you'll be able to build them in power and get strength to your gang uh, as they continue to fight. So there will be campaign elements to it. Fantastic. Now, are any of these going to be kickstarted? Uh, any of these games? 
Um, the initial, two of them, the video games were already. Shadowrun Returns and Shadowrun Online both had successful Kickstarters. Uh, the RPG uh, is done, so no, we're not going to be kickstarting that. Uh, we don't have one for Crossfire, because that one's essentially done. Uh, I'm not sure about Hostile Takeover and Sprawlgangers. Okay. So there's possibility for those, yes. Okay. And I actually talked to um, uh, Cool Minis or Not earlier today, and I believe that you guys are working with them on the miniature Sprawlgangers. Yep. Uh, which is good because uh, that's, a, that's a great company with high-quality miniatures. And actually, when I heard that partnership was there, I thought, oh, that, that's good. I can know what to expect with the miniatures. So I'm really looking forward to see what uh, the, the miniatures look like for Sprawl Gangers, too. Well, that's been one of the really exciting things about the way the year of Shadowrun has come together is that we just kept getting opportunities with people we're really excited to work with, uh, from the people at Fire Opal who worked on Crossfire uh, to the people at Cool Mini or Not, uh, to the people at Harebrain Schemes doing Shadowrun Returns and Cliffhanger Productions doing Shadowrun Online. We just kept having opportunities with really uh, passionate, talented people to do Shadowrun properties, people who really wanted to be in, involved in Shadowrun and all these different elements. And it's just been great to have that chance to explore Shadowrun in all the different ways. That, that is great. So kind of, to kind of wrap everything up, for everybody out there, you have something, whether, it's, whether you're RPGers, whether you're miniature game players, whether you're board gamers or deck builders, there is a Shadow, game, shadow Run game out there for these people to go out and play sometime over the next, or video games. Yes. Or if you're a video game player, sometime over the next year, there is something for them to play in this universe. Absolutely. And it's one of the great settings, I think, in all gaming. It's one of those when you see some of the iconic images, like the cover of the first edition of the role-playing game, you just look at it and go, I want to be there. I want to play in that universe. And so we want to give as many opportunities for people to play in it as possible and to have fun in, this, in a really fun setting. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking time with us today. No problem. Thanks for talking to me. I am here with Doug Morris and Gary Dixon. Doug is in the process of running a Kickstarter project where he is doing a documentary on tabletop and it's called Adventures on the Tabletop. Doug, glad to have you here. Thank you very much. Now, I actually, when you introduced yourself, you said, have you seen it? I said, no. But as I'm thinking, I think I possibly have seen your Kickstarter project, but I don't want to mess up what I've seen. So why don't you tell us what you're doing? Um, I'm making a movie about tabletop game designers. I was really fascinated with our culture and the people who sit down and play games. And I realized I wanted to see what designers go through from inception, development, playtest, and sort of follow that process all the way through with the publishers and, and see a game sort of from this little germ explode into something that people love and are engaged with. Cool. That is, that is awesome. So obviously Origins is a fantastic place to hook up with a lot of the uh, game publishers and designers because I'm sure a lot of them are here. I guess you, during the con, have been uh, coordinating interviews with these guys, getting footage of them, uh, talking with them, and stuff like that? Very much. Um, Gary's been working with me. I actually met him through the Kickstarter campaign. He was like, oh, I want to get involved. And So, Gary, explain what you've been doing, and then because he's helping line some of this stuff up. Yeah, um, well, my background is in graphic design, um, but right now I'm a Ph.D. student at Indiana University studying, well, it's a little bit complicated. It's in the informatics department. It's the HCID program, which is human-computer interaction design. Um, and my emphasis is in user experience. And specifically, my research is dealing with um, design methods and how those um, come about and evolve and how they're developed and used. And so user experience, huge in the digital space. 
Um, but there's very little sort of study right now of board game design, which has been around for a thousand yes. or more years, yes. you know. So uh, it's really fascinating to me, this really rich uh, experience that people have with board games. How can we learn from the design methods and processes used and the designers that develop them things that can be applicable to the digital space? So it's really about the designers and the methods and how those get developed and applied and that sort of thing. So in my hunting around on the internet, um, I ran across uh, Doug's Kickstarter and, uh, and just contacted him and, uh, and basically asked him if I could sort of pick his brain and maybe meet some board game designers and talk with them and it's been really great. Gary's done actually a really great job of doing outreach and finding designers. He's like, oh no, you have to talk to this person or we have to go interview this person. He's got some lined up for tomorrow. Who do you have lined up for tomorrow? Um, that is... Uh... Gary's pulling out his little red notebook right now and looking it up for those of you who... <laughs> if we only had video... I just want to get the name know. absolutely right. It's the guy who designed Arkham Horror and... Uh, and a whole bunch of other games that are... Well, Arkham Horror is huge right now. Right. But he also designed Elder Sign and um, a, quite a few other games. Uh, Richard Lanius, I okay. think. I'm not sure if that's exactly how to pronounce it. But uh, So we have that lined up for tomorrow morning. I'm really excited about it. Um, and we've got a couple other smaller guys lined up. But um, that's sort of the big one for tomorrow. Right. And uh, when I first got here, Steve Jackson was doing a, um, a, a Grandmaster version of Designer Ogre, and he was playing 12 people at once. And so I was videotaping that and watching that all happen. And then I cornered Steve afterwards, and I was like, I got some questions for you. So that was a lot of fun to, f to, f to find sort of a hero of mine, uh, someone who had really been in there and still is in there designing games and it was really fun to talk with him. Well, that's such a good one to uh, talk with because he's gone from obviously taking the Munchkin line that's been around for years and just really developing that, which some people may say is more of a simple type game, but he's also designed more complex games. Mm. So it's, I'm sure it's really interesting to talk with somebody like that. It's like, for me, it's like designing the popular simple game would be a lot more difficult than designing a difficult game, if that makes sense. I think I can make a complicated game, but I think making a simple, fun game that people want to play over and over again would really be tough. And we've, we've talked to a lot of designers about the various challenges they have, and simplicity is very much on a lot of people's minds. Um, again, designers have different strengths that they like to play to, different types of games that they like, but everyone really does think about finding simplicity, stripping rules out. I think Steve maybe talked about it as well. Um, certainly some of the designers have is that you start with very complex sort of systems and it's about sort of whittling away and finding out what's underneath and what the minimum is in some ways to make the game mechanic and make the game work. Wow, wow. So is this the only con you've been to or have you been going to other cons and talking to people and filming there too? Um, that's a really good question because I've been at many different events and they all have really their own character. I started at the New York Toy Fair and that is an industry only event or the designers that come to pitch have to pay a certain entry fee. And so you don't have anyone playing games there except the retailers and the publishers are there to demo games. So it's a very, very different vibe and actually part of the industry that I wanted 
to explore. Uh, I went to the gathering. Alan Moon's used to be a smaller group of us. Um, I was there when it was like maybe 100 people or whatever, and now it's almost 400 people. But it's still sort of a very close group of people who are designing games and playing games, and, and certain publishers are there as well. And then Origins is, you know, mayhem in a great way. Uh, people focused on tabletop gaming and miniatures. And I also went to PAX East, which is insane. I mean, and the video game culture at PAX East, it was wonderful to see that because video game players are discovering tabletop games in massive numbers. So that's been a wonderful thing for our hobby. Yeah, I, I totally agree because I... Um, was able to get my children, who obviously a lot of the younger generations are really into video games right now. And it was finding, it's like, hey, you know that video game you're playing? I bet I can find an analog version of that in a tabletop game. Yeah. And uh, that's such a great way to bring people into the tabletop industry, especially if you can come up with a, a good design that kind of mimics or takes some of that stuff they're doing digitally on the screen and with a controller right. and apply it to a tabletop. Obviously, a real good uh, an analogy to that is like World of Warcraft. We had this massive role-playing game online. You're playing with other people's right. – people's, wow, <laughs> <laughs> people. And, uh, you know, you take that and, and say, okay, look uh, – Role-playing games kind of came, video games came from like uh, pen and paper Dungeons and Dragons. Let me show you how this works on a tabletop uh, method and its its social impacts there. You mentioned Alan Moon. Did you get a chance to uh, do some one-on-one with him? Oh, yeah. I bet that was really good. Alan's wonderful. He's just really warm, friendly, gregarious, and we had a great talk. And what I did was I asked uh, Chris Handy, who designed uh, Sync. Terra. I know I'm gonna the five the five valleys. Gosh, it's terrible. But it's a new game. It's a great game, and it was his first published design. And so I sat the two of them down, and we Chris and I had worked up some questions and a, and a shape for the conversation. And it was it was a lot of fun. And as you know, people in this community are warm and they're fun and they're smart. And so it's a really great area for a documentary, you know, to, to talk to people. So we're going to get to see all these designers on your documentary. I don't, you know, the thing about the documentary is I don't know the exact shape of it yet. I'm still okay. searching for it, finding what my story will be. Um, just like the designers have to strip everything, they throw everything in, and then you strip back looking for the simplicity, looking for the story. Filmmaking's the same way, is that you have this mass of material and you sort of strip it away and find out what the story is going to be. But one thing I'm doing for our Kickstarter backers is I am putting up a lot of the material. For example, the full Alan Moon interview will be available to our Kickstarter backers because they're going to want to see it. A couple minutes might make it into the movie, but they'll get 30, right. 40 minutes, uh, something like that. We I set up a, a publisher's roundtable with major publishers like Hans and Gluck, Edgar Spiel, Abacus Spiel, and they're talking about what they're looking for in games and how they develop games and that sort of thing. Again, maybe a couple minutes will end up in the movie in a, in a certain spot, how it fits, but I will put the entire, as long as we make our next stretch goal, 
um, tabletopmovie.com will take you to our Kickstarter. Um, and as long as we make our, our stretch goal, I'll be putting it up online for our backers. So basically, okay. the Kickstarter backers get the, quote, DVD extras, that uh, the limited edition, the stuff that other people are not going to get. Yeah, and I'm actually, uh, Kickstarter is about offering exclusive content to people who have belief in your project before it is finished. A movie takes a long time right. to complete. And so I wanted to be able to give the Kickstarter backers something of value to them. And so for what I do, content is what we're about. And so I figured I could find content that the backers would be interested in. And I make it very clear on the Kickstarter campaign is these things are not going to be on the DVD. I will have different special features on the DVD. I actually have a Blu-ray option now, and that's going to even have something different again. So it's about finding things to reward people for, depending on whether they're buying a DVD, a Blu-ray, backing the Kickstarter early, you know, and even for just a dollar, you get access to those special features. That's the other thing about my Kickstarter campaign, that I really wanted to offer value at the dollar reward level, because I figured that would help get the word out. And some people are financially strapped at certain times in their lives, and and so a dollar is what they can do. And maybe the stretch goals will have a 3D version where you're sitting there watching it, it'd be like dice are coming right out of your TV at you. That's actually a good idea. This is very funny. My camera supports 3D shooting, <laughs> but I don't have a 3D lens for it. Oh, so, well, so no, maybe one of my stretch goals is I'm going to buy the 3D lens, and then we're going to shoot this particular scene in 3D and throw it up on the web. Nice. That'd be sweet. So um, let's see. What is the date of the when the Kickstarter ends? That's a good question because I really, really should know. It's in about 10 days from now, but uh, I think it's Monday or Tuesday, like the 27th or 28th of, um, are we in June? Yes, in, we are in, in June. June. Gary's yeah. looking it up right now, folks. So uh, and, and they can go to tabletopmovie.com, which will take you directly to the Kickstarter page. Yes. And obviously see the date when it ends there. Right. They can see all the uh, the pledge levels. Yes. Um, all the, uh, the, the, the stretch goals and everything. Sure. Um, what medium will this be delivered on once it's done? You mentioned Blu-ray, DVD. Will it be downloadable digitally? Yes, because, what again, and the idea was I, I wanted people to look at the page and say, oh, maybe. I didn't want them to say, oh, I'll come back later, though I'm sure there are a lot of people like that. I said, let's make the digital download really inexpensive. I'll make it 15 bucks. If I were looking at a Kickstarter page and someone said, oh, this is something I'm interested in, but it's only 15 bucks, I'd like, click, click, done, and then I don't have to think about it. So I made the digital download a very affordable price. But I also put in things I thought were really interesting, like if you're a designer and you want to sponsor the design level for like maybe 150 or $350, you can get your logo in the film, maybe at the end credits or maybe at the head credits, whatever's important to you. And we've had people take advantage of those, and it's a way for them to get their name out there to whoever watches this movie are serious gamers, right? Mm -hmm. And game designers. So it actually has a real value, I think, to be a sponsor of a a movie like this. That's fantastic. And I know you said it takes a long time to to complete and get done. Do you have any sort of notion when this will be coming out? I am hoping I will will be complete by um, December 2014. And if I am not for some reason, I will find ways 
to put material up online in the backer updates to say to people, I'm still working on this. Isn't this wonderful? This is not going in the movie. So here's a special treat for you now as you wait for the final movie. And they're going to be like, oh, actually, maybe you should delay the movie more so we can keep getting this <laughs> right. great material. I mean, I just had a, a wonderful chat with the folks from... Um, the spiel and yeah. we talked for how long like an hour i don't know what yeah. it was it was awesome so and it was awesome and so maybe you know if people are still waiting i'm like well there this is mm-hmm. this is them talking about games in a way that you won't see on their podcast or on their video things well i, I tell you i know the uh that that's i was trying to think in my mind of, of what happens around that time and obviously people will, who back it will want to get it as soon as possible but i must admit it would be kind of cool to have like your premiere at like gen con or essen or something like that and then get a big room with a bunch of people to come in and watch it but Obviously, people want to get it out as fast as they can. I'm just saying, I think that would be a good event, too, at a big gaming con to have your movie show there. Yeah, I would really love to do that. One of the things I've learned um, making my movies over the years is I'm not Steven Spielberg. My life didn't take me that way. But where it did take me is, is, is making really specialized films that people love to see that have a passionate, committed audience. And so instead of trying to like, oh, I'm going to go to a film festival and hopefully find people that like it, it's like, no, here's a movie that gamers are going to love. So I can go to Gen Con and say, hey, let's set up a screening. Or I can go to Origins or, or certainly at the gathering, as I'll say, Let, you know, let's have a screening. And there will be 100, 200 people there. This movie is for them. So it's a, it is what I would like to do. I would like to show it at the conventions and perhaps even premiere it at some of them. That's yeah. fan. Go ahead. I, I've mentioned that to a couple people. In fact, I was talking with um, Mike Ritchie today, who's the designer of Dwarven Miner. I don't, it's a little game, but um, he's designed six or seven games. But I was talking with him and mentioned the possibility of that, and he just lit up. I mean, he thought that would be so exciting to see that happen so there's a lot of interest in that sort of like screening at conventions and stuff that's fantastic well obviously there's there's not enough movies for us gamers to watch and having some sort of document i think it'd be really interesting i know it's really interesting to me to what goes on in the in these minds of these great designers coming out with these games because to me i look at them as you know genius with some of the stuff they come out with and, and the mechanics that they use and I know it's to a niche market like you said but I think it's a very passionate market and I think there's a lot of people out there that if they're not backing need to get out there and back it so that we can see this because films like this will just help our genre it, it will help it'll help our hobby and our passion grow to other people who aren't into it right now because they may not see what's the big deal you guys are just going out and playing monopoly and risk no no it's nothing like that it's a lot deeper than that yeah. i think if they saw the inside of what goes on behind some of these games design it could pull more people into the op- hobby and that's better for all of us yeah and we actually i have seen an explosion of the hobby i, I was away from it for for a certain number of years taking care of my son and things and when i came back i was like whoa this is this has changed we are moving towards the mainstream and the center families are really discovering game night. As you said, you know, your kids are playing video games and a lot of people are saying, hey, why should we be playing video games with our, you know, letting our kids, we're all staring at the screen together. Why don't we actually sit around a board? We can have the same sort of emotional experience and share it as a family and have interaction as a family. Well, fantastic. Well, 
like I said, uh, people who want to go back it and check it out, you may have, you have some clips up there right now that people can watch. Yes, and I keep adding more to the backer updates. You can go to tabletopmovie.com. Takes you ta- straight to the uh, Kickstarter. It's going to uh, finish on June twenty fifth. June twenty fifth. So I know you guys got a few days to go check it out. And thank you so much, Doug and Carrie, for taking some time. And we just can't wait to see the project and see how it turns out. All right. Thank you very much. This was great. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I am with Michael Chennault, lead developer for Cool Mini or Not Games. And uh, Michael, thanks for joining us here with uh, Rolling Dice and Teching Names. And uh, I was just over at your booth. And the big thing that you, go, you guys going going on right now is, aside from the big zombie side sign that you have <laughs> behind you, is I believe you guys just had a Kickstarter start uh, this week or just recently, correct? Yes, yeah, so we had a Kickstarter go live three days ago, and that was for Chaos Ball. And what is that about? Chaos Ball is basically a uh, fantasy sports game that we have put out, kind of a mixture between uh, football and rugby, although much more violent and more uh, fantasy-based, if you can believe both of those. (laughs) Also, um, well, when people hear that, they're obviously going to immediately start thinking of Blood Bowl. Is there any relationship to Blood Bowl or anything like that? That has been the big question, and, you know, Blood Bowl is basically the longstanding, you know, fantasy sports game on the market, but I can honestly say they don't play, you know, the better question for me to say would be, how are they similar? Well, yes, they're both sports games and that's basically where i've got to draw the line there on those because they both play very differently um with uh with chaos ball there's a big aspect of bluffing out your opponents there's basically you're going to have cards that are going to randomly determine how some aspects of the game goes and also give you a layer of strategy in there and bluffing with those cards and your plays is also a, a huge element of the game what is the goal that you're trying to reach on on the, the kickstarter I mean, well, have you already met your goal we are following our standard uh cool mini or not uh, pattern we do twenty five thousand dollars okay. was our goal. We reached that the first day. We are currently at over a hundred thousand. Nice. So, so it's fully funded. For all that's anybody's ready to go. out there that's interested, they go out there and back it. They will be playing it. It's yep. not like wondering if we'll get backed or not, but it's it's out there. And you guys are demoing it right now. I was just yep. over there watching a guy demo. It looks really good. Of course, all your minis look really good. <laughs> and of course, we can't uh, talk with you at all without bringing up Zombie Side. Uh, what's the latest going on with Zombie Side? Well, Zombie Side is of course uh, a big hit and still. You know, one of the biggest uh, projects we have. We are out here promoting uh, the standard base game, but also getting people revved up for our releases from Toxic City Mall and Prison Outbreak, our expansions. Uh, we uh, completed the Kickstarter for that just a little while ago. Okay. Do you know the release dates for those by any chance? Unfortunately, I do not. We hope to get them out you know, fairly soon, though. Fantastic. And uh, what's going to be different in, in uh, those expansions and stuff that's not in the basic game right now? So Prison Outbreak is a standalone expansion. It features a new prison setting along with... Uh, the new berserker zombie types which are basically zombies that are immune to any type of ranged weaponry so you actually have to get in melee to kill them and take them out toxic city mall is a expansion you'll need either uh, prison outbreak or the base game which we call season one in order to play that but that features a mall setting with toxic zombies which are kind of the the opposite of the bruiser ones toxic zombies if you hurt them in melee they'll spray toxic blood on you and actually deal you damage in addition uh in both those expansions we're releasing the new zombivores which are zombie versions of the survivors including the season one characters so basically if they die they can get back up as a uh, zombie survivor and continue fighting for uh, the, uh, okay that's a pretty cool aspect because uh, that's uh <laughs> that's that's a nice twist on i definitely have to be uh, checking that out so so you got the chaos bar going you got zombie side you're, you're one of your bigger games right now what other big games you got going on right now the other things that we were promoting the show is dark age which is our uh, miniature skirmish game right we announced uh, just a few months ago that we are releasing a new edition of that with a new rule book that will be available at a uh, gen con but we are here basically promoting that. 
Uh, we have released many new factions for that over the last year, uh, including the Kukulkani, which are kind of a space Mayan-style mm-hmm. uh, feel. Uh, those miniatures are gorgeous. Some of them actually have resin-cast crystal skulls. Oh, wow. Um, you have any of those here? Oh, we do. Uh, then I'll be taking some pictures, and I'll post them on our, our website for people to see. Absolutely. And uh, so you say it's a whole new uh, rule set. Is it? How is it different from the previous rule set? Basically, we liked our current rules, but we are just taking some aspects of it and tightening up a bit. Um, and basically, you know, fixing some of the issues that we were really felt nagging at the game. Uh, we're releasing, we, our game uses stat cards for each of the models. We're releasing new sets of those, which will be uh, front and back, all the special abilities. They will be printed on the back. They're going to be in a higher quality than our old ones. Uh, we're releasing new starter sets, uh, which will be available at Gen Con. Um, basically just giving everything a facelift and just going through and tweaking everything that we uh, we didn't like or felt could use some improvement. The big thing about the new rulebook, though, is it's going to be all-inclusive. It's going to have our rules in it, all of our special abilities, all of our faction rules, all of our scenarios, everything you need to play in one book. And that will be available for free download on our website as well uh, because I am I'm not a – I believe that you know, rules should be free for people. Wow. Uh, I believe if you're playing our game, that is reward enough. But we have our physical book that we will have at Gen Con. Uh, in addition to that, we are starting a yearly release for our rule set. So basically, um, each year we're going to be releasing our new rule book for that year, 2013, 14, and whatnot, with any changes that we not, might need to uh, make to the rule set, but also with all of our new content will be inside there, and the scenario and the tournament format for that year will be in there. But part of that is we're doing a book trade-in system. So basically, if any point in our game's history you have bought our rule book. So say you have the current book, which is the Apocalypse Core Rules. Mm-hmm. Um, at Gen Con, or you come to meet as a show or whatnot, you can trade that in for the next year's rule book. So basically the only thing you'll ever have to buy is one rule book over the course of our game's life, and you will have one from there on out. Okay, miniature gamers out there are freaking out right now because for <laughs> all of us who spend tons of money on rule books, and you know the companies that are out there every so often says, oh, guess what, here's a brand new rule book you want to have to go buy for us to play. That is a brilliant program. And uh, and you're right. If we're going to buy, uh, spend a lot of min- uh, money on those minis. Then, then the rules should be hopefully e- more easily accessible. And that's that's fantastic to hear. So, are these rules out there in beta for anybody to look at? Or are you just going to kind of release them all at once at uh, Gen Con? They were. They've been in uh, closed play testing for over a year now. And okay. We're fixing everything up. And basically, when the book is physically available for sale, it'll also be available for digital download on our website. Great. And probably the big question people are going to wonder, hey, I've already invested in all these minis and all this stuff. Will it be backwards compatible with the rule set that's oh, out all, now? The rule set is is basically how the game is played, You know, just tweaking that up. But the actual models and everything will still, of course, be able to be used. We're releasing uh, new stat cards right. for... Uh, all of our existing model range as well, which you'll be able to buy in faction packs. But again, those will be available for download on our website as well in case you don't want to spend money on those. Um, so basically, you know, we're, we're going to make it so it, all of our old gamers, all of our new people coming in are just taken just as much care of as everyone else. So, you know, any of you have been playing this game, you know, since the early editions and whatnot, and you still have the old original models and things like that, you know, you can just go download the new cards for it. We have an iPhone app out currently, uh, Dark Prevailer, which has all the stats on there. That's currently being worked for an Android release. That will be updated for the new edition as well. So, you know, there's a medium uh, upon medium upon medium that you can go to download, you know, whatever format you feel is best for you to have, you know, everything you need to play, whether you want it to be in print or if you want it in digital format. Wow, so a miniatures company that doesn't try to break the people that are trying to play their game. That's that's a great concept. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for taking time with us today. I'm sure a lot of people are excited to hear the updates on these three big games, and we'll be looking forward to more from you in the future. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, take care.
I'm now with Alex Barbieri from Break From Reality Games, and Vanessa and I just played a demo of a game called Damage Report, which is a co-op game that this company has uh, kick-started last year and hopes to come out with later in the year. Alex, thanks for being with us. No problem. My pleasure. Alex, this was an awesome game. Um, Vanessa and I really like co-op games, but one issue that we've always found with co-op games is that type A person that likes to basically dominate the co-op game, especially in games like Pandemic. But you found a solution to that. So mm-hmm. why don't you give a little bit of overview of Damage Report, what it's about, and basically, well, just to overview the report, and then you can explain through that how that kind of eliminates that person who dominates sure. co-op games. Yeah, Damage Report is um, a game of, well, the, the, the board is modular, and it comes with, with different scenarios. So you can build a new ship every time you play. You can make up your own scenarios. You can go on whatever adventures you want. It kind of is a build your own sci-fi based on whatever you happen to be into if you like that that genre. Um, the players are in the midst of some catastrophe. They have to keep the ship in repair while at the same time trying to uh, meet the end condition and, and win the game. So the, the way that it's different from other co-ops, like you mentioned, is it really eliminates that one person running the show. And other games have tried to do that with putting a time element into the game. You'll see games that have uh, a timer running that makes you kind of have to rush through it and takes away the ability for someone to take all that time. And I love co-op games too. And I play, I've played pretty much everyone I can find. Um, but even in those fast games, you're just sometimes getting the faster spiel from that person on how to do the most efficient thing. In Damage Report, you not only have the game timer, but every player has their own individual timer that lets them know when they can take their turn. And they have to manage this timer every 15 seconds. So if one person is trying to tell everybody else what to do, they're neglecting their own timer and being inefficient themselves. So that it just it just doesn't happen anymore. We, I've seen it. I've seen people try it, and it, it, they stop after a while because they just have to focus on their own business. So what it really does is it fo- it, it forces all the players to make their own decisions, and you have to trust everybody that they're going to do something good to benefit the the group as a whole. Cool. And one thing I noticed about it was um, um, it plays up to four players, four players, five it, players. It's two to six players. Two to six players. Mm-hmm. And each person has a special um, ability. So everybody, yes. uh, you have individually named people, but each person has a special role, which is very common in, in co-op games, mm-hmm. too. Um, so that's kind of cool. So each time you play, you could play as a different person. Uh, you mentioned the ship can be different each time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I just thought was really neat when we talked about the uh, the timers is you had this whole life support system to where as your life support system gets damaged over time, that what that forces you to do is to wait longer before you could make your move. Yes. Because when I was wondering, it's like, well, how does that really affect? But now once I played through it, I kind of understand that. Mm-hmm. When your life support's down there 10 20%, what happens is basically you got to wait for your 15-second timer to basically flip twice or wait 30 seconds before you can make your move. Mm-hmm. When your life support system is A-OK and you're considered in the green, mm-hmm. basically you make a move every 15 seconds. Yep. So I think that is just a really ingenious mechanism because you're sitting there kind of freaking out. Um, like, I need to take my turn. Meanwhile, you got this other clock, game clock running to every three minutes – 
your shields decrease by 10, and I guess that's how the game ends is when your shields get down to 0%. In, in that specific uh, scenario, yes. There's, uh, in, in most scenarios, there's a damage report deck where every three minutes on the game clock you draw a card, and it tells you which systems get damaged and by how much. So, for instance, if life support's in the green and you draw a couple damage reports in a row over the next few minutes that reduce life support, you could be in the red just really fast. But the nice kind of balancing mechanism there is in the red, you're, you're flipping your 15-second timer three times before you get a turn. So it's 40 second, or 45 seconds between turns. Um, but that gives you more time to talk to people and make a more cohesive plan than oh. when you're rushing. So it, you, can, you can recover from that very easily by you know, cooperating more. Okay. Only thing I found is I would not pay attention to my timer, forget to flip it and move it to the next then, thing. And then, then it you're, it's costing your time yep. then because you need to flip it as but fast as possible. Sometimes you need to take the extra time to, to make a plan, and it's worth those extra five seconds to talk to the person next to you and mm. you know, coordinate. And actually, in, in our game, I found out toward, towards the end of our game, um, I was waiting on Vanessa to make a move, and I didn't want to make a move till she finished hers. Mm-hmm. So even though my clock expired, I waited till she finished. Mm-hmm. Then I flipped mine over so that I can make my move. Yep. Great. So when is this game coming out? The game will be out by Gen Con, uh, come hell or high water. <laughs> uh, we originally planned to have it out by now. We, w- we wanted to have it out for Origins, but, um, you know, things happen. We want to make the best quality game that we can, so we're not going to rush. I mean, if, if something absolutely horrible happens, we're not going to have it come out with problems. We want it to be the top-notch quality. So. Okay. And what's the suggested retail price? Sixty dollars. Sixty bucks. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. I guess it'll be available online, all well, over yeah, the place. It, distributors. It, it's, and... it's with all the distributors. It's already in solicitation, so stores can pre-order their copies. And this was funded through Kickstart last year. It was, yes. Okay, great. Now, while we're here, there was also another game that I didn't get to play, but mm-hmm. was playing beside of us, which was Disaster Looms, mm-hmm. which is already out. So, how yes. about a little bit about that game? Yeah, Disaster Looms was uh, kickstarted. The Kickstarter finished about three months or so um, before the damage report one went up. Um, D- Disaster Looms is a competitive game where everyone plays the CEO of a corporation that has endeavored into space travel. And the premise of the game is that Earth is doomed. There's some catastrophe that's coming to Earth. It's never said what it is. Um, but it's pretty clear that the, the days left there are numbered. So um, as a CEO, for the right price, you'll take the humanity off of Earth and, and make new colonies. So um, the, the interesting or the unique part about Disaster Looms, because you see a lot of exploration games out there where you flip tiles and whatnot, um, the, the real cool mechanic is the technology market. So in Disaster Looms, you have a uh, set of public domain technologies that you start the game with, and those technologies dictate what you can do on your turn. So you can do simple explore, simple movement with your ships, but as the game goes on, you can research new technologies that aren't in the public domain that are just for you, and maybe get a heads up on the competition from that, um, and you can always decide... You have to balance whether you sell that technology to the public domain to make money or if you keep it and, and use that ability just for yourself. So it's, it's a really uh, new kind of mechanic there, and it, it, it's, 
that's that's the best part of the game, if you ask me. That's great. Well, it, that sounds a little bit maybe more uh, maybe in depth than maybe a, oh, yeah. a damage report is. Uh, Disaster Looms is a one to two hour game. Once you know all your stuff, your first experience with it, I, I usually plan for about three hours. Okay. Um, just because there's there's a lot of technology cards, and your first time through, you aren't familiar. You have to read them and. You know, there's there's a really awesome new rule book that we just had. The first edition rule book was a little sparse, so we 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 beefed it up. We put in an appendix that should answer any questions you'd have. Sorry, what what did she just ask me before that? Oh, just to be, be a more complex. Game oh yeah, than... yeah. Damage report by comparison is uh, maximum forty five minutes. Okay. If you haven't won in forty five minutes, you've lost. Yeah, and that's well, that's another good thing about that game too. There's a built in timer. It, it's like you're going to be done in 45 minutes whether you like it or not, exactly. <laughs> which a lot of people may like because um, so, uh, you know, well, with the family and stuff like I have, uh, it's like, you know, we've only got 45 minutes to an hour to play a game. What can we do? It's like guaranteed we'll be done with this in 45 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, win or lose. And a lot of times after that, well, a lot of times you'll win before within the, between, sure. between the 30 and 45 minute mark. And a lot of times it's. Let's play that again. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just one more question on uh, damage report. Can you scale up the um, uh, difficulty? Absolutely. Okay. Um, Each scenario comes with uh, suggestions for scaling it down or up in difficulty. Um, One of the main things is number of players. So you played just now the two-player version of our demo. It's two or three. So you played the slightly harder version. Okay. And Oh, we won, by the way. So, Good job. There you, go. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can also add, there's event cards you can add into the damage report deck that will make unexpected things happen. Um, you can change the starting setup so that things are more damaged at the beginning. Um, each scenario comes with that list of how you can adjust it for however you want. Great. And uh, so Disaster Loom is already out now. Yep. You can pick it up now. We're going to hope for damage report around Gen Con time mm-hmm. and be in stores after that. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. It's Break From Reality Games. Do you have a website? Yep, bfrgames.com. BF, and a Twitter or anything like that? We have a Twitter. We have a Facebook. So It's all out there. Us. Fantastic. <laughs> Again, thanks for your time, Alex. Great game. Thank you very much. I'm here with Scott D'Agostine of WizKids Games. Scott, glad you could join us here. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming by. You guys have a lot of exciting stuff coming out. Now, everybody knows WizKids from all their wonderful games like uh, Quarriers and the Hero Clicks line and everything. But you guys have some new games coming out this year that people are just really pumped about. So I don't know where to start. I'm sitting here at the table looking at the Star Trek uh, miniature game. So maybe that's a good place to start. Absolutely. Uh, Star Trek Attack Wing, we are... Uh, people are getting their first look uh, today, uh, to, uh, starting today and through the weekend of uh, Star Trek Attack Wing, which is uh, the uh, flight path maneuver system, uh, utilizes that uh, game mechanic uh, and the Star Trek uh, theme. We're uh, showing the starter set uh, here today. We are going to be releasing this game at Gen Con. Uh, so this is uh, pre-production copies that we have here to do demos with. Uh, so it will come out at uh, Gen Con with the starter set, which gives you three ships uh, and three different factions with the Federation, Klingon, and the Romulan, uh, eat one of each ship. Uh, and uh, we also will have eight expansion packs uh, with that first release. Uh, that'll be single figure, uh, single ships uh, in a blister pack uh, that also will have, uh, there'll be two Klingon ships that are available, two more Federation ships available, two more Romulan ships, and two Dominion ships as well. Okay. Um, 
and we're really excited to show it today. And one uh, other thing that's special that we're doing for uh, for Origins, uh, and which we'll also do at Gen Con, is a mega-sized demo. So uh, out in the hallway, we are running games of Star Trek Attack Wing with oversized ships, and it's a, it's just absolute blast. I actually just saw that out in the hall, and it's like, you, well, you can't miss that. And it's like, okay, i got to go find these guys because this looks awesome. Yeah, they have a big mat out there, basically, with these oversized measuring sticks that people are laying down and playing the game. I mean, it looks like a lot of fun. Oh, it's a blast. We're playing on a 20-foot by 20-foot area, and, uh, and people have been uh, having a lot of fun with it and looking forward to uh, running it all weekend. Now, I think one of the obvious questions that people are going to always ask or, or want to know is, how does this differ mechanically from X-Wing? Is it exactly the same, or is there anything that's a little bit different about it? It is. Uh, it is. It, it, there are some differences, uh, absolutely. If you're familiar with uh, Star Wars X-Wing uh, miniatures game, you're going to have a very easy entry point. Uh, you're going to be familiar with the flight path system and how the ships are moved, and it does have the same uh, turn flow of the planning stage where you're choosing your maneuvers, the activation stage where you are uh, moving your ships and taking actions, and then the, then the uh, attack phase as well. Um, what is different about uh, Star Trek Attack Wing? Uh, for one thing, the ships are uh, much more durable. There's, uh, the ships have uh, pretty heavy shields, uh, a lot of hull points, so it's uh, very unlikely that you're gonna take out a ship in one attack. Um, so there's going to be a lot of back and forth uh, battling, uh, it just sometimes you know down to uh, down to tooth and nail um, of, of actually uh, getting to uh, destroying a ship. So you can you can play a very satisfying game with a very uh, with a small amount of miniatures, um, you know even one or two ships on your on your build. Um, you also, in order to sort of fill out your uh, your your ship, you can. Puts uh, crew uh, and uh, equip uh, crew and weapons and tech upgrades to your ship. They all have a different build points uh, to to add on to your ship. And another thing that uh, is a little bit different is we have captains for the ship. And the captains uh, in X-wing, there's pilots, and the pilot skill is uh, is linked to the ship. Uh, in in uh, Star Trek Attack Wing, the captains are a separate card that have their own build point. Each ship has to be assigned a captain. Uh, and they might impart uh, a different ability uh, that, to that ship, as well as the ship having its own inherent abilities. Um, each ship w- does have to have a captain, so every ship that is going to be released will have a zero-cost captain that does have the lowest rating, uh, so it might not and, and won't have any special abilities. But you'll always have a captain to play uh, at at zero cost for for different factions. Um, the other thing that's different is we do have. Um, a uh, system for having shields on the the ships and the shields can be disabled uh, and it becomes sort of another resource in the game because there's a lot of card effects where you can disable shields to get bonuses. Um, So you're going to strategically want to manage your shields and and allow you to be able to do these additional actions by sort of taking power, which is classic Trek, Mm -hmm. you know, divert the power from the shields to, right. to maybe uh, get more attack dice or be able to do some repairs or uh, other other card effects. Um, we also add in a cloaking, uh, and the cloaking mechanic for uh, the Romulan ships and some of the Klingon ships uh, will is uh, something where they will be able to disable their shields, go into cloaking, and it's a special action that ships have, and uh, it will give them bonus defense dice 
but the the downside is that their shields are disabled to do that. Um, but it does give a big bonus for for defense uh, because a lot of these ships are are of a um, these are you know um, larger uh, ships in the Star Trek universe. Uh, they tend to have a much lower agility rating, so not a lot of defense. But however, if you're cloaked, you'll get four extra uh, defense dice, so that can be uh, a great benefit to you. Right. Um, that will also open up the sensor echo action, which allows you to move side to side laterally because you're you're tricking your opponent into where you actually are on the uh, on the field. Right. Um, so those are really some of the uh, the, the major differences. Uh, but I think uh, the thing that really is uh, very compelling for this is that there's uh, all the different captains and crew members. Uh, there's so many different characters in the Star Trek universe that we can bring into this game, and they're all going to impart their different uh, abilities and, and special actions uh, to the game. So and you it, can really customize your, your fleet that way. So you're talking about how the ships have a captain. Is there going to be a concept of adding crew members that could possibly boost, like throwing in an engineer to give her all she's got? Absolutely. We've got, uh, with the expansions, there's going to be different crew members that will come with the expansions. So so, uh, as an example, uh, one of the first ships that will come out with the uh, first set of expansions is the USS Enterprise from uh, Classic uh, Classic Universe uh, Star Trek. So you'll have uh, James T. Kirk uh, as the captain. You'll also have a Christopher Pike captain card. But you'll have Mark Gim- Montgomery Scott. You'll have um, Mr. Spot. You'll have uh, Uhura. Uh, that will all be uh, crew abil- crew cards that you'll be able to assign to the ship. Um, different ships will have a different number of crew that they can be assigned, so you'll have to be selective in, in how you build it out. But it does give you a lot of variation in, in, uh, in how you can build up your, your squad. Now, I'm sure somebody's going to ask the question. Are, so you're talking about like the original Star Trek ships and crew and, and characters and stuff. Will you integrate in any of the other Star Treks? We are uh, currently right now, this is going to be um, uh, original series and the motion pictures okay. uh, that that we are drawing from uh, for this as well as uh, in an original series, the, the extended uh, television series. So we'll have ships from Deep Space Nine and, and other, um, other uh, Trek television series. Cool. Uh, now, you got two other games coming out. That uh, that one I just read about this morning, the uh, the Hobbit board game. But can you tell us a little bit about that one? Sure. the uh, The Hobbit Journey to the Lonely Mountain strategy game is uh, will be coming out in October. Um, it is uh, designed by Eric Lang. It uh, follows the journey of Bilbo Baggins going from uh, the Shire to the Lonely Mountain. There is the. It is a game for uh, two to four players. One player plays as Bilbo Baggins and his company of dwarves, and uh, three other players uh, who will play the Goblin King, Gollum, and Azog. Um, they are all trying to stop Bilbo, but they each have their own victory conditions that they are going for. So they are. They can have a uh, cooperative win if they stop Bilbo, but they will each have their own individual victory condition that they are trying to do. So they are competing with them themselves uh, as well, and their their uh, victory conditions are, are very different. Um, it's a highly thematic game. Uh, it's a very much a Euro style. Uh, the, the, you are playing with uh, our Heroclix figures, uh, which have a uh, variable stats on the dials, but then there's also token characters that you're bringing along with them. And you're trying to maneuver uh, 
Bilbo Baggins and his and his company of dwarves across the board from left to right, whereas the enemy players are going uh, from right to left and trying to block you along the way. And um, there is a, a different action phases that will happen during the course of uh, of a turn, but you can only select out of five phases two phases to act in. One phase allows you to move, one phase is for combat, one phase is to rest to be able to gain tokens, which will allow you to uh, do re-rolls um, and, uh, and, and other, other phases. So there's a lot of strategy because you select what phases you are going to play in and you place them face down. You don't know what, other, what the other players are choosing. Okay. Uh, and there's a turn order sequence. So... There is a lot of strategy in trying to guess what the other players are going to do for the turn, what phases they're going to act in, how that's going to affect you because of the turn order. Um, so I'll say that I've had a blast playing the game. Many of the games have come down to the last turn and just that feeling of if I chose right, I win. If I chose wrong, I lose. Right. And uh, so there's a lot of strategy, uh, a lot of thematic elements. Uh, each each of the characters have special ability cards that are unique to them, uh, which you'll you'll only have access to in the game. So um, there's a, a, a high uh, high theme and also high strategy in the game. So we we're we're not doing demos of it here at Origins, Aww. but we'll be doing demos at uh, at Gen Con. Okay. It'll release uh, at Essen. Fantastic. And the last one is a train. I, uh, train. A game I see down there uh, being demoed right now. Trains and stations. What's that one about? Trains and stations is a, uh, a train game. Uh, our take on a train game. Uh, it's another game designed by uh, Eric M. Lang. Uh, uh, he's been wonderful to work with and, and designed some fantastic games. Um, Trains and Stations uh, takes place in the, uh, the late 1800s, the, the boom of the train, uh, train or railroad era. Uh, you are a railroad baron, and you're going to use resources, which in this game are dice, to be able to build tracks uh, for connecting different cities. And you also use your resources to build buildings in those cities. Um, you are going to be sort of cooperating with the other players because uh, because you're uh, unless you roll really well in one particular turn, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to connect cities by yourself in a single turn. So what's going to happen often is that you're going to share other people's tracks. And as cities get connected, you might be the one to finish it off, or maybe you start it and someone else finishes finishes it off. But you're going to share victory points. And uh, as you connect cities and share those victory points for connecting the cities, there's also going to be a payoff of the buildings that are on those cities. So there's a lot of thought that goes into your turn of where you're going to place your tracks. Do you want to finish a track? Is it going to benefit you more than it's going to benefit other people? Because other people are going to benefit even if it's not their turn. Mm -hmm. um, if they've got buildings in those cities, if they've got uh, 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 dice that are placed out on the tracks to help complete that track, they're going to benefit. So you have to be very selective in, in, in sort of working with other people to, uh, to complete routes between cities, uh, but, uh, but at the same time, you don't want to benefit them more than you on your own turn. Right. Um, it's a very fun game for three to five players. Uh, and the gameplay is actually pretty fast. It's, it's very easy to pick up. 
Uh, it's a game that you can sit down and play within a half hour, 40 minutes, uh, depending on the numbers of players that you have. That's a good time span. So it's going to depend on the number of players. The lo- more players, the longer it takes? Yeah, up to five players. But even with that, I mean, you might be looking at a 45-minute okay. uh, minute game or something. Good. And then the last thing, with all your great games that you have out now, you got any big expansions coming out for Warriors or anything like that? Or Well, uh, we have, um, uh, we just recently came out with the, the most recent expansion is Quartifacts. Uh, and that came out in June. Uh, so that was our most recent expansion for Couriers. Uh, but we have announced uh, that we are going to be doing um, later in the year uh, uh, what's called Couriers Light and Dark. Uh, but we haven't gone uh, too much into detail of that, okay. but, but it's coming down the pipeline. So look for more information about uh, that, uh, that further box. I will say at this point, uh, Quarters uh, uh, Light and Dark is uh, actually designed as a entry point. So if someone hasn't already picked up the base set and the expansions, they can start in with Quarters Light and Dark. But for all the people who have already uh, have Quarters and have picked up all the expansion uh, packs, or maybe if they haven't picked up the expansion packs, it will operate as a, an expansion as well. So you'll be able to use the creatures and the dice out of that and add to your Quarters uh, games that you already have. I like hearing stuff like that because I tell you, as a gamer, if I if I miss the initial bandwagon of like a core game and all these expansions come out, I feel like I've missed it because I have to spend so much money to have to catch up. That it's good to hear that that the companies are looking. It's like, all right, great. Say you don't have all the other stuff. Guess what? Here, if you want to get into this game, you can start at this point. Yes. Which will probably lead, if you like it, going back and picking up the core and the expansions and stuff like that too so i'm glad to hear the companies are doing that yeah. or that you're doing that and it does have uh, 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 some uh, a new mechanic in it uh which uh, uh which will add to it as well and and which will be added on to uh as part if you're using it as an expansion on your base game um so it adds an, another gameplay element for it um and it's uh, building off of our dice building games uh, we have other uh dice building games that we'll be doing they won't be compatible with uh with couriers right. but for folks who are um familiar with couriers the mechanics of couriers there'll be an easy uh uh you know the, the the learning curve will be a little bit less but uh look for more information about other dice building games we've announced that we will be doing for uh Yu-Gi-Oh, uh marvel and dc fantastic as a big comic book fan, I'll be looking forward to the Marvel in D.C. Well, Scott, thank you so much for your time. That's been a, a lot of fantastic information. I'm sure everybody will really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that concludes part one of the Origins 2013 report. I hope you found some of that information useful, and I know I had such a wonderful time talking with all those great companies. I'd like to thank all those that provided their segments on the show today. That would be Break from Reality Games, Catalyst Games Lab, Cool Mini or Not, Douglas Morse with Grandfather Films, and WizKids. Again, part two will be coming up soon with even more information from other companies, so stay tuned. And as always, keep rolling dice. Oh, I miss Tony. This episode was sponsored by the Gamers Codex, your source for game news, reviews, and a fun place to discuss the games you enjoy playing. Visit them at thegamerscodex.com. You know, if I put my ear to the microphone, I can hear the ocean.